at the center of the universe is what? A relationship. Before the boom of existence as we know it, before our solar system and planet Earth, microbial life, let alone complex homo sapiens, before it all, there was a relationship. Lacking nothing in and of themselves, the triune God decided to share life and love with us. Now, whether or not there is conscious life in other solar systems or galaxies takes nothing away from the fact that the relationship at the center of the universe made us and loves us and seeks to relate to us. The center, or the relationship at the center of the universe forgives our rebellion, became one of us, died for us, and lives in us who trust in Jesus, have gone through the waters of baptism, and have received the Holy Spirit. That is incredible. Through the Holy Scriptures, and the incarnation of Jesus, and the witness of the Spirit-filled apostles in the church, God continues to give us ways to relate to Him, to know Him, to walk with the relationship at the center of the universe. Now, throughout Christian tradition, that's a, that's a long time, almost 2,000 years, transcending history, transcending denominational affiliation, spanning Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic and all the myriad Protestant denominations out there. Among all that breadth of different traditions in the Christian tradition, the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer has been one of the tried and true avenues that followers of Jesus have gone to time and time again to relate to God, to relate to the relationship at the center of the universe. We're going to pray it together. It will be on the screen. Let's go here. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As I've mentioned time and time again throughout the series, I love this prayer because whenever I feel at a loss for words or wonder where to begin praying, anyone else think praying is hard? Like, it's, it can be difficult, right, to be, keep it fresh. Well, anyway, I, I know that when I come to the Lord's Prayer, I'm on good, solid ground because the Lord's Prayer provides us with the words of Jesus. He even says, like, this then is how you should pray. I, I, I think he knows what he's talking about. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're on pretty solid ground. I know that when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm praying words that are pleasing to the Father, that are good for me, and are good for the world. But there's more than just the words of the Lord's Prayer to help us. I think that the structure of the prayer is informative as well. Notice how the prayer begins with a focus on the one to whom we pray, our Father, the one in the heavens. 
just knowing that we are praying to a good father is, and not some tyrannical, disinterested deity makes all the difference in the world. I, I, I'm coming to someone who wants to be identified as my father in heaven, not to the universe or Gorg or, you know, some, some I don't know what it would be, but some crazy thing like Baal. But come to me as father. That's relational language. You know, the Lord's Prayer could even be used as an outline for worship. Notice how we begin with the object of our worship as opposed to our own selfish desires, our Father who is in heaven. A and then we move to, um, from your, 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 Father, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. A and when our minds are calibrated on the Father and his worship and his glory, he then invites us to pray for our own needs. And by the time we get to our own needs, we realize that the Father's good pleasure is to meet our needs. So we go from Father, your, 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 to give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Now remember when we began this series on the prayer at the center, I mentioned that the actual words of the prayer are only a starting point, a foundation for building a whole life of prayer. Each stanza is like a garland, on which we may hang other prayers. A and each week, our congregation has been contributing to a communal prayer based on the Lord's Prayer. So you'll find colored squares of paper in your bulletin like this, and online you'll have access to the info at literacycc.com email address, so you can email in your prayers, and Elizabeth will put them on a tag like this, and she will sew them together, and we are just going to continue building this prayer out so that at the end of this series, you'll each get a written document with the communal Lord's Prayer from Letter Streets Covenant Church in 2022. So it'd be a great work of art and a cool prayer because I've been reading these and they are meaningful and heartfelt and fantastic. This evening, we're going to enter into the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. By telling us to pray for daily bread, Jesus is inviting us into a world of asking for the necessities of life. When we pray for daily bread, we're asking for at least five things. I say at least, but there's going to be five. So you can put one, two, three, four, five on your sheet if you're that kind of person. I'm that kind of person. We're asking for at least five different things that we could hang on a garland of our own making. Let's start with the basics. In praying for bread, wait for it, we're praying for bread, <laughs> like food, like necessities, right? Um, maybe not literally bread, but at least the basics of life. You see, in Jesus' day and culture, flatbread was present at nearly every single meal. And not only was bread part of the meal, but it was like the utensils. So think if you've ever gone to an Indian restaurant and you break off a piece of naan and you use that to dip it in the dal, and that's what you used to eat. Th that's how bread was in Jesus' day and age. It was just a staple of a basic meal. The point is, at its very basic level, this prayer is a prayer for the necessities of life. Give us this day what we need to live, food, Shelter, clothing, love, peace, good relationships. Bread, then, 
refers to the basics of human life that lead to human flourishing. You might have a full stomach, but feeling empty emotionally. Daily bread can be a prayer for rescue from burnout or depression. You might have your material needs net, uh, needs net, <laughs> needs met, <laughs> but you're going through like relational challenges or at odds with somebody. Praying for daily bread can include reconciliation and richness of friendships and right relatedness to other people. So you can see how this one line, give us this day our daily bread, can begin to include so many other types of prayers. For those of us with full stomachs but empty hearts or emotions or, or other issues, we can those are foundational pieces to human flourishing, the bread of life. So the first aspect of praying for daily bread is an invitation to praying for the basics of human flourishing. But part of human flourishing is a healthy relationship with God, which leads us to the second aspect of praying for daily bread. It teaches us dependence on God. Dependence on God. Jesus' original audience in this passage were his own people, the Jewish people. And prior to Jesus, the foundational story of the formation of Israel as a people was the Exodus story. In that story, the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt, and through Moses, God delivered them. He rescued them. And when they left Egypt, God brought them into the wilderness— very limited sources of water, very limited natural resources, no grass for grazing their animals. They had no time to plant crops. I mean, that would take a whole cycle, even if they could get irrigation water. All that to say, they had some problems of sustainability out there in the wilderness. And that is where God gave them water out of the rock and bread from heaven called manna. And the Israelites were instructed to take enough of this manna, this heaven bread, for each person in their household each day. Every morning, they would poke their heads out of their tents. I imagine it doesn't say that, but you got to poke your head out, see what's going on. And then all covered on the ground was this flaky stuff called manna. And you're supposed to just take enough for that day for every person in your household. And even in the scriptures, it says that God warned that if you were to hoard the manna or take too much, thinking like, oh, I'll take two days worth today and just take it easy tomorrow, that it would rot overnight and worms would start eating it. And that happened to some of the folks in the scriptures. God is training them. I will provide for you. I am the one who pr always provides for you. God literally gave them daily bread. In the process, he's training them to see what has always been true for every human, even us in the 21st century, that humans are designed to be dependent on God. After all, the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is give us this day our daily bread. He didn't teach us to pray a month for monthly bread when we go to Costco for that monthly Costco run. Or he didn't Teach us to pray for the weekly bread when we go to the Hagen or the Safeway run for that weekly run. Or if you're like me, we go every day anyway because we're always forgetting that one thing. Ah, thankfully, Sophie has her license now, so she can go make the Hagen run. No, he tells us to pray every 24 hours, fa Father, give us today what we need for today. Because every good thing, every gift is a gift from God. 
Even if we're smart and skilled and healthy and have the right connections in the world uh, to have a good job and enough money, those are all gifts from God. It's sobering to think that while I may have lots of food stored up and a house to live in and three beautiful daughters, an amazing wife, uh, it could all be taken in a blink of an eye. I am entitled to nothing. I've seen car accidents destroy families, storms take houses, economics force bankruptcy, and amidst disease, natural disasters, and stresses, and accidents, and all of it, you name it, it's amazing that we have what we have. Praise God. Someone said that to be human is to be dependent, to be in need. Now, dependence in American culture in the 21st century, that's not a good word in our culture. But we are made as human beings to be dependent on God. Something would be very wrong if I caught my children hoarding leftovers or loose change in the couch because they were afraid that I wouldn't provide for them tomorrow like I provided for them today. And I wonder how God feels when we fearfully and selfishly hoard much more than we actually need, especially when it comes at the expense of other people who may not have what they need. Later in this very chapter, Jesus will tell us not to be anxious about food or clothing or the basics of life. And that's not meaning it's a license to be lazy. He is telling us not to lose sleep over the day-to-day necessities. So praying for daily bread can help to train us to address reality. We are truly dependent on God for all good things. And that leads us to the third aspect. Asking for daily bread ought to lead us toward thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I'd be willing to wager that the majority of us in this room or on the screen have food in our refrigerators and pantries enough for today and for tomorrow. And almost as many probably have food enough for the next few days or weeks, if not more. What does it mean for us in this situation to pray, give us this day our daily bread? It almost seems, I don't know, like a waste of time. Like, I've give us this daily bread. I've got like a pantry full of stuff. And I, we have two freezers at our house because we buy in bulk stuff and harvest stuff from our garden at free. You know what I mean? Like we've got plenty of stuff. Am I just going through the motions if I pray, give us this day our daily bread? Well, one thing that this prayer has come to mean for me is to thank God for my daily bread. Like if I've got it, I can thank him for to thank him for the resources to obtain daily bread and tomorrow's bread. Sometimes it's a challenge to remember where our food comes from. You know, I don't know about you, but like my kids have learned, uh, (laughs) they're notorious for saying like when we run out of something, just go to the store, as if like a magic fairy was going to pay for it and somebody else had to make it and package it and put it on the shelf in the store, right? But it's just kind of, Honestly, I think that way oftentimes, too. We're out of something. Just go to the store. (laughs) Scripture reminds us, though, of 
reality. Like Psalm 104 is this litany of praise to God, thanking him for being the provider for every living creature on earth. And the psalmist speaks of the vast oceans filled with mighty creatures, like uh, this emphasis on Leviathan, this mythical creature. Or you could think the great white shark or the orca. That's our hometown uh, apex predator here. Um, I mean, unless there's like just lack of food, like orcas just, they eat what they want. <laughs> like, try and stop them. I mean, they I- and, and yet, the, so you think of like this Leviathan in the ocean, and the psalmist is saying that, you know, if God just decided to not provide one day, if it, just, it doesn't matter how mighty you are, if you're a lion or an orca or a human being, if you're the apex, if God doesn't provide, sorry, supply chain issues, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like that's the reality of it. And so it encourages us to turn this prayer into a prayer of thanksgiving when we do have what we need. My ability to go to the store to get food, for instance, is not about my ability to shop. It's about God's providence. And for me, like tending a garden can help remind me of where my food comes from. We're reminded that, yeah, I till the soil and plant the seeds, put a little water on it, but like cellular you know, all the stuff that's happening, the photosynthesis and the, the growth and the multiplication of that, that plant grows overnight. That, that's, that's awesome. While I'm sleeping doing nothing, God has created this system to create growth and flourishing and abundance. It's a good physical reminder, especially for those of us who live in more urban settings where we buy our food in cellophane wrappers and things. And it's not just prayer about food, but place to live and relationships, and friends, and the things that we have, when we have abundance, when we find ourselves having those things, turn this prayer into a reason to praise God for those things. A healthy Christian attitude of thanksgiving, and dependence on God, and uh, it naturally leads us to the fourth aspect of praying for bread, and that's generosity toward other people. As we become people who recognize that all we have is actually a gift from God, that all we have is by his grace, we can no longer simply pray for my daily bread. Besides, this prayer won't let us pray that, right? Remember, we're praying to the father of the one who once fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two fish. Should we not also pray for the millions of fellow human beings in the world today who are going hungry? Should we not also be moved to pray that all people would experience love and peace and have shelter and all the things that it takes to be a thriving human being? Generosity requires that we pray for the world as well as ourselves. Generosity invites us to be, uh, to be thoughtful in prayer. Many of you, I know, uh, sponsor children with Covenant Kids Congo. It's this collaboration between our denomination, the ECC, and World Vision. And, and the whole idea behind this collaboration was rather than just sponsoring random kids, which is a great thing to do, uh, they decided to focus on one town, one village, and sponsor entire families in, in the Congo. And it, it's this, this idea of strategic generosity. Uh, It goes like this, I know that sending money to children helps and so do prayers for their health and safety and daily needs. But I also know that if their parents aren't well, it will directly impact the children no matter how much money I send. 
And if the village leaders aren't well, things will not go well for those nuclear families. And if their government is corrupt or weak or ineffective, what future will the town have? And so our prayers for daily bread become, become prayers of, of a social network for justice in all of these different layers of society. They become prayers for rain where there's drought. They become prayers for deliverance where there's war. They become prayers for good crops and fertile animals and, and good management of resources. To be generous in prayer is to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done in the world and among other things that people would have their daily bread, the things that they need to flourish in life. And one thing that often crosses my mind is what about the people who are hungry today who are praying this prayer every day? If God is so loving... Why doesn't he answer his prayer more often for more people? One thing I don't believe is that there's too few resources in the world to help the people of God. There's not a lack of resources to house and to feed and to care for people. And this hits <laughs> this really close to home as a born and raised consumer in America. But what if we're hoarding the answer to people's prayer for bread? What if we, the church, what if we as individuals, we as Americans, we as global citizens are hoarding the answers to some of these prayers? While we pray that for daily bread, we have more than our share of daily bread. Could I spend less and give more? Could I be more responsible with what I eat and how I eat and how much I eat? Of course, yes, 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 yes. And I think that that is something that this prayer that Jesus invites us to pray can have some convicting power in our hearts, some shaping of behavior power in our hearts. And I, I want you to hear that it's good news, that it's not a shaming prayer, but I actually, I like to be challenged by God it reminds me I'm still alive and he actually cares about how I live that's called a relationship by the way like God isn't a talisman that I just like throw my thoughts up to and I hope he doesn't talk back because I really don't want to change my life I just want a religion <laughs> that, that's not what I'm about <laughs> if you can tell um, so yeah I think we need to wrestle with this as we pray give us our, our daily bread because us includes everybody Having bread does not only mean food, right? It means we have power. We live in a democracy where we have a voice. How will we use our voice to ask our churches and our government and fellow citizens to aid the poor? Praying for bread with integrity means praying, Father, show me what to do. Show us how to be, how to live. Show us how to be the answer to someone else's prayer for bread. So, so far, we've seen four aspects of what it means to pray for bread. It means praying for bread and dependence on God and thanksgiving and generosity. But fifth and finally, praying for bread lets us, uh, leads us to praying for the bread of life. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus is mentioned in relation to food 
and eating with other people. It's like a lot of time. <laughs> Look how many of his parables have to do with food and banquets. And why is that? Well, I think it's because bread and the kingdom of God are metaphors that go together. Banquets are metaphors of the coming of the kingdom of God. The reign of God on earth and heaven is often described as a banquet. So here's a classic example from like Isaiah 25. This is hundreds of years before Jesus manifests himself on earth as a human being. Um, these are the Israelites speaking of a day in the future when God would come and his kingdom would begin breaking into the world. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine and choice pieces of marrow and refined aged wine. I like that he mentions wine twice. Okay, it's going to be a good banquet. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples. The, another word for covering, that's kind of a weird translation, is the veil. So in, in the Hebrew tradition, there's this veil that separates regular people from God. And remember, when Jesus dies, uh, that veil in the temple split from the top to bottom, as if God were rending it, were splitting it himself, making access to us. So on some day when the kingdom comes, this is before Jesus, remember, they're talking about this banquet and wine and people of all nations being around this table. He's going to swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Oh, and it just goes on, and I could just, oh, I feel like I could just preach Isaiah 25. Maybe we'll do that sometime. It's just so good. It's such a kingdom-focused prophecy. We know that beyond praying for physical bread, we're praying for the coming of the great banquet, the ingathering of those who place their trust in Jesus. Part of the danger of praying for daily bread is that we begin to pray just for daily bread. After Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people, they began to follow him in large numbers, not because of who he was or because of what his feeding represented, but because of, of what they could get from him. Basically, Jesus said, uh-uh, you guys are seeking me because you're snackers, and I want seekers. You want the bread that just fills your belly for now. I want to give you something lasting for eternal life. Same passage that Joe read just a few minutes ago. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and that you were filled. Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal. And Jesus goes on to say, I am the bread of life. The one who comes after me will not hunger, and the one who believes in me will never thirst. Could it be more than mere coincidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? In Hebrew, Bethlehem, Beth, house, lechem, bread. Jesus is born in a town called the house of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. That's kind of cool, right? Like Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread is to pray Give me Jesus. Give me life. We need bread to live. We need the necessities. But life is more than mere physical survival. 
Equally important is the bread of relationship with God, the one who created us and sustains us and rescues us from sin when we place our faith in him. I want to invite us now into a time of prayer to contemplate what it means for you to ask for bread today. Using the tag that you have in your bulletin or the website that, um, that Chuck is going to put on, on the, the live stream, um, maybe it's a prayer for a basic need, like one of those, maybe you really need food, um, maybe you need healing in a relationship, or deliverance from an emotional hurt or a wound. I mean, those, those are real foundational pieces. Those are bread pieces to human flourishing. Uh, maybe it's a prayer of dependence. Like, God, I, I live as though I were the king or queen of my own destiny, and I need help to remember that I'm dependent on you. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. You just want to pour out your thanks to God. You've been, you've been in cruise control receiving the gifts of God, but you want to turn this into a time to thank him. Or maybe it's a prayer for one of the many needs that other people have in the world. But let's take, let's close this now without me praying and let us write our prayers. And in a few minutes, we'll have an opportunity to put them in the jar.